Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hey, we're going to be in a couple of areas of Scripture tonight as we continue our study through the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to dig into tonight. But as well, you're going to need to be in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, as well as Titus chapter 3. So once again, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. You're going to want to put your finger in Ephesians chapter 4 and as well as Titus chapter 3. And so uh, we're going to be digging there. Now, as you are looking for those areas of Scripture, let me say it is Food Truck Thursday. And if you were not here, you missed street dogs. Too bad for you. We actually ran out of them. I took one bite, and I decided I was going to wait to eat mine till after I taught because I've got enough energy as it is without that dog in me. Can you imagine if I was to eat it. And so uh, I am looking forward to Food Truck Thursdays. It's an opportunity for you to come straight from work and fellowship. Someone said to me, well, you know people are going to come here and just eat and they're not going to come to church. And I said, great, they'll run into people like you and you can just love on them and we'll get them into church. Amen? So that is our heart, and we're looking forward to celebrating with you uh, Food Truck Thursday as well. You can see, like Adonis said, um, our stage is a little bit upside down for God's glory. And this Sunday, we're going to be having quite a wonderful experience celebrating Vacation Bible School with our kids, and we're going to get to learn how to worship from children. And so I'm excited about that. Come out, bring your family, invite some family friends. Um, They're going to hear the gospel and they're going to see kids worshiping the Lord. There'll be a great message. My son actually taught today and I think I may have lost my job and I haven't even had my first official Sunday. Um, He did such a great job. So thankful for how the Lord is moving in his life. Um, So I want to make sure that you're here um, as well. I saw some of your faces when, I, when we said we are having a change of service times, 8.30, 10.30, and 12.30, some of you went like this. <laughs> Wait till I ask you to go to Africa on a mission trip. <laughs> service times is just to prep you for what's yet to come. Amen? Yeah. Only two people agreed. <laughs> I love you guys. Amen? Yeah. Oh, look who decides to join the choir. Great. Philippians chapter 2, so excited about this particular letter and so grateful for Brandon and Pastor Dennis who did such a phenomenal job uh, covering for us in the midst. And so why don't we go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts to hear the word. Father, I'm so grateful for the great grace of God that allows us to learn your word, your word. God speaking to humans. It's amazing. We have connection, communication, and communion with the God of the universe. And I pray now that we would not let any distractions come our way, 
that over the course of this brief time of our week, we'd learn your word so that we can live your word. Grant us that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians. I want to do a little bit of a review, if I could, to get us into chapter 2. Paul is not having a great day, but he is purposing to make a great day. Let's talk about what's going on in his life. First and foremost, he's in jail. He's in jail. Now, this is not a great experience. I've actually had the privilege and opportunity to go to Philippi and see a Roman jail. It's a hole in the ground. There's no one there to take care of you. There's no one there to feed you. You don't get recess. You don't get workout time. You don't get yard time. You don't get three meals a day. Some prisoners that are currently in the United States prison system purposely go to prison so that they can survive. This was not the experience of the Roman jail. This experience was survive if someone cared about you. You were thrown into a hole. It was not the U.S. jail system. Secondly, okay, not only is he in jail, Christians, Christians have come against Paul while he's in jail. Basically, you heard from uh, Pastor Brandon and Pastor Dennis, these Christians are using the fact that Paul's in jail, saying, don't follow Paul. <laughs> His kind of Christianity is going to lead you into jail. Follow our kind of Christianity, and then you won't end up in jail. In fact, Paul would write, if you would take a look in Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verse 16, the former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. One version of the Bible says, intending to make my chains more painful for me. They wanted him dead. Christians. Now, I'm so thankful in the 21st century that doesn't exist in our world today. I mean, we are all so loving. We're all so for each other. And if any of one of us have any kind of problem, we're just there to pick each other up and help each other out. Amen? Amen. Yeah, right. <laughs> what church are you a part of? There are ministries out there today just waiting for pastors to make a mistake. They make money by marketing their whatever it is, by just waiting to pick on Christians. They thrive on it. They live on it. That's the way that they make their money. It's no different today than where it was in Paul's day. They intend to make chains on people. Let's pray that we are not those people. Amen. So he's in jail, Christians have come against him, and thirdly, the Bible says that he had desire to depart and be with Christ. Now let me put that in chat language. He wanted to die. Paul actually wanted to die. Now, we don't actually ever say, hey, we always say like, hey, I'd love to be with Jesus right now. And I'll always respond to it, okay, I'll talk to God, you can die tomorrow. Then people will go, well, I mean, I'd love to see my grandchildren, and I'd love to see... Well, you just said you want to be with Jesus, so why don't I ask God to help you die tomorrow? 
Well, I mean, I'm, I'm having a great life. We'll usually say things like, I want to go with God, and I'll respond and say, okay, I'll pray for you tomorrow, and they'll go, great, when we're not having a great day. You know, like, when you give birth to your first child, at the, after the birth of your first child, you don't typically say, I want to depart and be with Jesus. No, no, no. After the birth of your first child, you want to see your child grow. Usually, the month after the birth of your first child and you get your hospital bill, that's when you say, I want to depart and be with Jesus. Amen? It's usually during a sad time in our lives. It's usually when we're depressed. It's usually when we're grieved or facing a trial. We'd rather leave the earth and go and be with Jesus. Can I get an amen? So here's Paul. He actually is at the point of wanting to die. But Paul has purposed something in his heart. Would you look with me at Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a plaque verse. That's a verse with a beautiful painting. It's on your wall. It's on your fridge. That is a plaque verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, what Paul is basically saying is, I want to be like Jesus, and I'm going to live for God no matter what. I'm going to filter my experience through God's providence for my life. I'm going to live for God no matter what. That's Jesus' kind of living. Because there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done. You see, Jesus' kind of ministry, Jesus' kind of living is, no matter what, I'm living for God. You see, from Paul's perspective, now that he has this, for me to live as Christ and die as gain, would you look back with me at verse 1? He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus. You see, Paul recognized something with this heavenly perspective of, for me to live as Christ. He recognized that he's not being jailed by the Romans. He's a bondservant of Jesus. This is the will of God for his life. From Paul's perspective, his chains were there because Jesus had put his chains on. And for him, in the midst of his trial, he saw his jail time not as an obstacle. He saw his jail time as an opportunity to share the gospel with everyone from the Caesar's house to all the Roman garrison and soldiers that were tied to him or chained to him. He advanced the kingdom because he believed, like Philippians 1.13 says, that he was chained and these chains were for Christ. See, he used every moment in that jail cell in the midst of his trial to preach the gospel. Many theologians believe it was during this first time that he would meet Onesimus. And Onesimus would meet him by happenstance, by Godowins, there in Rome while Paul was in prison, and he would come to Christ, and Paul would write the incredible letter of Philemon, or Philemon, if you're from a French-speaking country. He would write this incredible letter to Philemon and say this incredibly discipleship message and discipling his good friend and his brother Philemon to receive Onesimus back home. It was there in jail. He chose to redeem the time. And there would be another man 
that would look at the example of the Apostle Paul, and I know many of you do the same. Now, when I say his name, you'll probably not recognize him, but when I say his ministry, the voice of martyrs, immediately some of you will recognize persecution.com as someplace you go to pray for people that are being persecuted. His name is Richard Vermbrand. He wrote a book, Tortured for Christ, growing up in a communist country as a Jewish man who got saved and became a pastor. He was arrested and thrown in jail for 14 years into his prison sentence, beaten and mocked. The Lord used the Apostle Paul in his life and he made a decision and he came to a realization that the soldiers that were in that prison would never come to his church so God sent him to the soldiers and he was their pastor for 14 years. 14 years. You see, this is a Paul perspective. You see, Paul, as his perspective began to change, we begin to see how his perspective began to change. Would you take a look at verse 3? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every, underline this word, maybe in your Bible, prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. You see, we begin to see how Paul began to understand his godly perspective. He found his godly perspective by going to God in prayer. Because usually, at the place of trial, rejection, and despair, we begin to be beckoned to God in prayer. I always tell people when they come to me in the midst of their trial, the way that you are praying now God is giving you a practice to pray like this for the rest of your life, even when things are good. Because let me tell you what prayer does. Prayer transports us into the realm of heaven. We can as well get caught up into a third heaven. And this is exactly what it did for Paul. He's physically bound in jail. He is in a Roman jail, but he's not there in spirit spiritually through prayer, he's been caught up into heaven. And while he's in heaven, there's this special focus, this particular decision and focus that he makes to focus on the Philippian church because this church brings him great joy. He chooses to think of whatever is lovely and pure. He's going to write about this in Philippians chapter 4. He chooses to set his mind on whatever is praiseworthy and noble and right. And so he puts into practice what he's about to preach and he starts thinking about this church in Philippi that he loves so much. Growing up, I made my children watch two things. Number one, every episode of Little House on the Prairie. I know everything there is to know about Laura Ingalls Wilder. The second thing that I made my children watch, even my boys, several times, was Sound of Music. Now, some of you might go, I cannot believe you are promoting Little House on the Prairie and Sound of Music. Listen to this. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling, you all have watched it too. Katja. I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so. Oh, look who knows it. It's a biblical truth. 
Paul says to focus on whatever is lovely and whatever is pure. He puts it into practice and he makes a decision. I'm not going to get stuck in the muck and the mire of this world. I'm going to be transported through prayer to the pearly gates and golden streets of heaven and gain heaven's perspective as to why I'm in this jail cell. And what Paul found was joy. And Paul found in verse 20, he makes a decision of chapter 1 that he is going to magnify Christ in his body, in his life, or in his death. He's following the example of so many Old Testament saints that went before him, like Daniel, who made the decision, despite his situation, I am going to glorify God. I am not going to let my situation determine my behavior. I'm going to let my God determine my behavior. He trusted in the Lord with all of his heart, and he chose not to lean on his own understanding. But in all his ways, Paul made a decision to acknowledge him. He's in jail. And he made the decision, I'm going to magnify God. That's acknowledging God, according to Proverbs chapter 3. He made the decision to rise above his situation. And instead of living in the muck and mire, he writes this incredible, encouraging letter to a church that was deep in his heart. He loves this church. They bring him so much joy. Do you guys know, I had vacation. Do you know what I thought about the entire time I was away? You. I thought about you. You're on my heart. Your faces. And I don't even know all your names, but I would see your faces just passing by, praying for you. And on day seven, I was ready to come back. I was, re- I, I, I was like, okay. I'm, I, I called Pastor Jeff and I said, I know you're supposed to teach the next two Sundays, but could I come back? Like, I mean, I, I just, I missed you guys. Pastor Jeff was so faithful. He said, you're going to need this time. So enjoy it. I'm three days in, and he's a very wise man. (laughs) He loved the church. And he knows they're walking through a similar circumstance that he is. And he wants to set an example to glorify the Lord. Church, let me tell you something. Do you know that people are watching you walk through your trials? Do you know they're inspecting you? They'll never tell you. Do you know they're, they know you're a Christian and they just want to see how you'll handle this. I'll never forget. I had malaria in Liberia. Now I've had malaria over 30 times. My liver probably looks like Swiss cheese. Doctor told me, he says, listen, when you get older, God bless you. Okay. So I've had malaria so many times when I had malaria, it's like a really bad flu. You get 105 fever, your feet feel like you can boil an egg and you sit in your bed like this and you shake for about 24 hours and then it goes away. And then the little beastie comes back in you again and you get that again 24 hours later. It's a nightmare of a disease and it all comes from a little mosquito. And what I found was the mosquitoes actually knew my name in Liberia. They would buzz my name all day long. Chad. Like, they're just letting me know I'm about to bite you and infect you with a deadly disease. And I'll never forget, I was in my bed in the midst of the war with malaria, and I'm lying there in the bed. And this woman had received 100-pound bags of rice, and everyone left with their bags of rice except this woman. And she's outside of my window crying, and the Lord knocks on my heart, go carry the bag of rice. You know what I told the Lord? If you wanted me to carry the bag of rice, you would have protected me from getting malaria. (laughs) 
You know what the Lord said to me? I gave you malaria so that you could be tested to whether or not you'll obey me no matter your trial. I got up out of that bed with a bad attitude. I went out to that woman. She's crying, and I said, I'll carry your bag of rice. I didn't say it with a joy in my heart. I said it with a matter-of-fact statement, and I looked up at God, and I said, I'm doing it. I put that bag of, uh, 100-pound bag of rice on my head. I walked it all the way to the street. It was about five, uh, probably about 500 yards downhill. Thank you, Jesus. Walked it down to the street. I dropped the bag of rice. She looked, thank you, Brother Chet. I'm so grateful. Now I can get it into a taxi and I can get it home. And I'm like, God bless you. And I start going back to my room. I started a discipleship group that year. And at the end of the year, we started speaking into each other's lives and encouraging each other. And one of the guys' name, his name is Daniel Ba. He's gone home to be with the Lord. He says to me, when he was 20, he went home to be with the Lord just about, what is it, five years ago, Andrea? Yeah. He said, you know why I'm in this discipleship group? Because I'm an African and you're a white man. I said, well, that's obvious. I have never seen a white man carry a bag of rice for an African woman. And when I saw you that day carrying that bag of rice, I said to myself, I want to know his Jesus. And I'm in this group because of that bag of rice. Don't clap. Immediately I repented. And I said to him, I go, well, let me tell you, I had such a bad attitude. I couldn't believe I was embarrassed of myself for the way I was acting. And he said, you know what? You did it. Bad attitude or not, I saw it and I'm here. Church, people are watching. And so Paul now encourages the church. We're going to pick it up in verse 27. Look what he says. Only. Now, I got to stop there and sorry for that, but just stay with me if you would. Only. This word is very important because Paul is letting them know in the midst of their trial, I got one thing for you to think about in the midst of your suffering. Only, he says. Solomente. I want you to focus on this one thing. Only. Only let your conduct, I've circled that word, be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. Would you stop there for a moment? He says, I've got one thing for you to think about. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Now, maybe you'll circle that word because I wanted to define it for you. It's where we get our word politics. It's where we get our word politics from. It means to live as a free citizen in a country. Let your conduct be a free citizen. Now, let me give you what another version translates it as. You must live as citizens of heaven worthy of Christ. You see, Paul is introducing a new topic to us, and he's going to talk about this topic all of chapter 2 and all of chapter 3. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. You'll see it here. Philippians chapter 3, I'll pick it up in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're citizens of heaven. 
And there's a conduct about a citizen of heaven. And when you were born again, you became not a citizen of the United States of America. You became a citizen of heaven. You're just living in a foreign country called the United States of America. But your home, your citizenship is in heaven. And every country has a conduct about it. I've lived in many countries. In fact, I'm Bahamian. And once you get to know me, I'm more Bahamian than I am American. I like fish. I could eat fish every single day of the week. I like conch. And you don't say conch. It's conch. C-O-N-C-H. Someone asked me the other day, what is conch chowder? And I said, first of all, you're not from the Bahamas. It's conch chowder. I know it's spelled C-O-N-C-H, but it's conch chowder. And by the way, it's not K. It's key. It's not green turtle K. It's green turtle key. I know it's spelled C-A-Y, but it's key. And if you're from the Bahamas, you'll know that you don't say K. You say key. It's just what it is in being Bahamian. I've lived in Liberia. There's a culture about Liberians. They have a way that they dress. They have a food that they eat. I've been in India. There's a way that they dress. There's a way that they eat. There, I've been in Iran. There's a way that they dress. In fact, they dress usually in all grays and blacks. I showed up in khaki pants and a blue t-shirt. It's like, okay, one of these things, like I've said, is not like the other. There's a certain accent when you come from a certain country. It's the same with heaven. There's a conduct as a citizen of heaven. And the, 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 the Philippians would understand this. They would understand what it means to be a citizen in another country because they were a Roman colony in Greece. They were a Roman colony in Greece. And Rome had a policy, especially with Philippi. You can live as you please if you conduct yourselves like a Roman, even though you're living in Greece. So you can be as, 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 as you can be as Roman as you want, but I want you, even though you're living in Greece, you've got to conduct yourselves like a good Roman. And look what he says. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel... So that whether I come and see you or am absent, that's so important. Because our conduct is not just how we behave in church. It's how we behave outside of church. You see, I got to volunteer in the parking lot a couple of days ago in vacation Bible school. And someone was driving by and I went, slow down. You know what they did? I was thankful to find out that they don't go to our church. (laughs) They were just parking to go and walk across the street to the business across the street. And I said to myself, we've got to get you saved. (laughs) But you know what I'm going to do on Sunday? I'm going to go in the parking lot on Sunday when you're pulling out. (laughs) And just as you're cutting off that person to get in that parking space, I'm going to go, hello. You see, he's saying whether I'm there or not, you are to conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of Christ. It's not whether or not I'm watching you or not, especially in the secret places of your life is where your conduct should shine the most. Integrity is part of being a citizen. So he says, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to pick it up again. He says that I may hear of your affairs that you may stand fast in one spirit. Philippi would understand this well. They're a Roman military town. 
You see, they were a, they were a naval base. They were an army base. Keep in that mindset. I live in San Pedro. Every night we hear taps. I love it. I love it. Every night we hear it. And I love it because my brother gave his life for this country and for our freedom. And I'm, some people are like, oh, there it goes again. I just stop and listen. It's like a beautiful melody straight to my heart. You see, San Pedro, there's a base. Philippi was a naval base. It was an army base. It was where all the military lived. And so when he would communicate to them like a great pastor, stand fast, the Philippians would get it. They would totally understand what he's trying to get across. He's letting them know you've got to be unified as the church if you're going to defeat the enemy. You can't splinter in groups. You've got to be one spirit. Turn with me because this message gets across to Paul by Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there with me if you would. Just a couple pages over to the left, there's a big division in the church. The Jews and the Gentiles are not getting along in Ephesus. They got an all tribal on Paul. And so Paul writes them a letter in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says something powerful to them in the same manner that he writes the church in Philippi. He says this, verse 1, chapter 4 of Ephesians. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy, sound familiar, of the calling which you were called, be a good citizen of heaven, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. That's a key word, endeavoring. In the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. One, one, one. Let me explain. Do you know when you became a Christian, you became one with all Christians around the world. We have been unified because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We operate from a place of unity. So Paul says, endeavor to keep it. You're operating from a place of unity. So I want you to give it everything you've got to stay there. And the way that you can stay there, he gives us some simple solutions. You've got to be humble. You've got to choose to be gentle. Paul knows that people are difficult to deal with. He says, you've got to be long-suffering. You've got to bear with one another. You've got to give it all you've got to get along because people will always say things that can hurt you. When my wife was giving birth, I wanted to encourage her. She was singing. And she was singing this wonderful song about the strength of Jesus that she was relying on. She had a contraction. She continued to sing. So I thought it would encourage her if I asked her this wonderful question. Does this even hurt you? I didn't mean to hurt her. I didn't mean to frustrate her. But when I saw her face, I realized something has gone wrong in our marriage. We've got a purpose to suffer long with each other. You see, the way to fight division is endeavor, give it all you got, to keep unity with your humility. We're on the same side. 
We've got the jersey on. We're on the same team. We've got a purpose to fight together so that we can win. Divisive situations and divisive people can wreak havoc in a church. That's why Paul in Titus chapter 3, he says, listen, rebuke them once, but if they don't choose to listen, have nothing to do with the divisive person. Because division is not from the Lord. It's from the enemy. And so Paul says you've got to stand fast. Now, here's what Paul does. Prepping us now, going into chapter 2, Paul describes a few necessities for us to cond- for us to have in order to have the conduct of a citizen of heaven. And the first thing that he says, let's pick it up if you would with me. Go back with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we're going back a couple of pages. Philippians chapter 1, he says this, that you stand fast in one spirit. Now take a look. With one mind, striving together, another military term for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your enemies. He says, I want you to have one mind. Striving together with one mind. Gang, we need some confidence. I want you to strive. I want you to push forward. I want you to advance the kingdom. And he's speaking in a military context, and we've got to remember we're at war. I mean, we are in the middle of Operation Gospel. Our job is to spread the gospel, and our job is to learn and live the gospel in our world. We are in the middle of Operation Gospel. I need to let you know. Because we're in the middle of this operation, the enemy hates our guts. Do you guys know you got a target on your head? How many of you experienced spiritual t- attack before in your life? How many of you experienced a t- spiritual attack? You have a target on your head. And the only thing that's going to keep us on the same page and fighting together in Operation Gospel is receiving our direction from the Lord. We've got to have one mind we got to be a school of fish that when the rock gets thrown in the water, we all move this one way. And the only way that we will have this swim line on us to know which way to move, just like a school of fish, is the Word of God. The Word of God is going to keep us on the same page. It's going to keep us with one mind. The Word of God is also going to train us, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It will train us to fight our battle well. With the word of God, we've got the confidence to move forward because we know how to move forward because we've got one mind from the word. Let me explain. I am a swimmer. I swam all through high school, all through college. I trained for the Olympics. I spearfish. I ski. I kneeboard. I wake surf. I wakeboard. I love the water. None of my kids besides three like the water. They all like soccer. I don't play soccer. So they would never pick me to be on their team. It was really sad. When we would play family soccer games, I was the last one standing there. And I'm the dad. It was embarrassing. So what I decided one summer living in Brazil, I decided to have one of my students train me to play soccer. So every day I met him on the field and he trained me to play soccer. And I did dribbles and I passed the ball. I learned triangles, whatever that is. I can't remember. I learned the positions. I learned where to play. I learned offense. I learned defense. And some people, you play soccer like you don't even know what you're talking about. Listen, yes, I do. I trained. (laughs) And I had a goal. I wanted my kids to pick me to be on their team. 
So I trained. Let me tell you, I got good. That's a lie. I improved. <laughs> I was about to lie to you on my first Thursday. Listen, I, I, I improved. I improved. I did. I improved. You know why? I had confidence. Someone spoke into my life, trained me. I put it into practice. I had confidence. When I am speaking the word of God or you are reading the word of God or you are listening to the word of God, you're being coached by God. And when you put it into practice, when you get out on the field, guess what? You're going to have confidence. But you know what else we need? You need courage. Take a look at chapter 1, verse 28. And I know this is a long introduction for chapter 2. And don't worry, we're only doing a few verses in chapter 2. He says, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you, it's been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, stop there. You see, not only are you going to need confidence, you need courage. You need courage. You see, do you remember the Sermon on the Mount when we did that earlier this year? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Like, this is a really great human being. Blessed are the peacemakers. Like, this is a great human being. Why at the end of the Beatitudes are, blessed are you when you're persecuted? Why would you persecute a great human being? Because you're at war. And you're going to need courage. When you act like Christ, the enemy is going to sound the alarm in hell. And the attack is going to begin. You see, the Bible says, for all those who live a godly life will be persecuted. You know what my mother says? If you ain't being persecuted, you are no one for the enemy to worry about. That's what she says to me all the time. If you ain't going through trials and tribulations, then you are on the wait list in hell. They don't even want to bother around you because they know if they stir you up, you might get spiritual. So better just leave you on the easy road. All those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus are going to be persecuted. We need courage. Our courage proves that the enemy has lost even though it appears otherwise. That's what he's saying here. You see, let's take a look at the cross. Do you remember when Jesus went to the cross? It looked like he lost. He's dead. But Colossians tells us he simply made a laughing stock of hell because of the power of the resurrection. Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, we're more than conquerors, not conquerors. He says we're more than conquerors. You see, a conqueror has to see a one battle. They've got to live the physical victory. But someone who's more than a conqueror, whether they win or lose, know they're victorious already because faith is our victory. You see, our courage comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. He's working in our life, and when he works in our life, and we have the faith to ask him for help. Let me tell you what discouragement is. Let me tell you what depression is. Let me tell you what despair is. They are simply life's reminders to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through the midst of your discouragement, to flow through the midst of your depression, and to flow through the midst of your despair. These are reminders for us. Gang, we shouldn't be surprised. 
In John chapter 16, verse 33, the Bible, Jesus tells us, in this world, you will have tribulation. That is the will of God for the church. In the, how many of you have faced tribulation in your life? Thus proving scripture true. In this world, you will have tribulation. It should not be a surprise. It's simply a reminder that we need to ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what our courage does. Our courage, despite our trial, displays the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit moving through you. That's why when those 12 guys only seven years ago were lined up on the beach by the Taliban and all of their heads were cut off, they were singing praises to God. They made a mockery of Satan as their courage by the power of the Holy Spirit thrived because they were already living in heaven for me to live as Christ and die is gain. You see, in this sense, suffering is a grace. It's been given to us to display the power of God. Think of the Red Sea. Everybody's freaking out. All the children of Israel, Moses, you brought us here to die. What did God do? He just simply set them up to show his power. The Hebrew boys, do you remember? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're about to be thrown in the fire. And all it was was an opportunity for God to display his power. It's what God does. Do you remember Hezekiah? He's all upset about the Assyrians, 185,000 of them that are out in front, and he sends a message to Isaiah. What are we going to do? Is your God going to help us? Isaiah, courageous and confident. Hezekiah, this battle belongs to the Lord. Watch and see what he's going to do. And that night, one angel goes through the whole 185,000, and they're dead. Now, you got a guardian angel watching over you. What are you worried about? There is confidence and courage that can be found. You see, the church is suffering and Paul knows it. He says in verse 29, for you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. This is not a plaque verse. Let me read it again because maybe I went too fast. He says, it's been granted. It's been graced. It's a gift from God. It's God's favor on your life. That's the word. Not only that you get a chance to believe in him, but you get to suffer for his sake. We've been given two graces, salvation and suffering. Somebody say amen. Amen. (laughs) I'm going to do it one more time because you need to see this again. It's, look what he says. He's granted, he's graced you, poured his favor out on you, not only to believe, but also to suffer. Who's going to put, memorize that verse this week? Who's going to put that on a Thomas Kincaid picture? I get to suffer. Paul knew this well. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he faced wild beasts in Ephesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says he was in turmoils, in stripes, in tribulations. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this, I'm in perils of robbers, perils of sea. And he goes on with this list of perils in this and perils in that and perils in this. Paul knew this well, this grace and this favor of suffering. 
I have a friend of mine. His name is Feridun. He's, he's the pastor that I work with who ministers in Iran. And I'll never forget at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, someone walked up to him many years ago and said, we're praying that persecution ends in Iran. And you know what he said to this precious saint? I'm praying that persecution begins in the United States of America because persecution has made the church in Iran strong. She looked at him and said, God bless you, and walked away. (laughs) She didn't know what to do with what he said. There's a different perspective. You see, choosing to live as a citizen of of heaven declares you an enemy of hell. Do you know that with every major step of faith that I have made in my life, the enemy has tried to wipe us out physically? We've gone over cliffs. We landed in Liberia. Not one piece of our luggage made it. I've been shot at. I've been jailed. I've run for my life. I've had child soldiers threaten to eat me. I've been to Iran twice. And I'll never forget the first time I landed in Iran. I visited a Christian family. And they had just taken a girl who was thrown out naked in the street by her father, which is a death sentence in Iran, because she told her dad that she now believes in Jesus as her Savior. Church, I've come home from all these experiences, and we started a school called Patmos. Because let me tell you something. When you're looking down the barrel of a gun... There is no seminary in the world that prepares you for that. And you know the whole thing, like your life flashes before your eyes? It don't. The only thing you think is, I'm going to heaven and I'm going to see Jesus. That's it. I've been there several times. There's no seminary that prepares you for that. So we started a school called Patmos because we wanted to generate disciples who were willing to go anywhere and do anything for Jesus. And so we made them sign a commitment letter. They needed to know what they were coming to. This was challenge for the purpose of change. And then after their first week of experiencing these challenges, they were given the opportunity to go home and not continue 15 more weeks because we wanted to sift out those that should be there and those that should not because not everyone is called to be an Apostle Paul. They have the opportunity at any time to go home. But our heart and our desire was to raise up a disciple who was willing to go anywhere and do anything. And everybody says they're willing until the gun is faced at the forehead. I've been there. I've been with a missionary who I needed to go across the rebel lines as fire and gunfire is going off. And a missionary is so sick she's dying. And I didn't want to go by myself. And I looked at him and I said, would you go with me? And he turned around and walked back to his bedroom and said, you're on your own. I've been there. I took this beefy like football NFL guy to Liberia one time. Two o'clock in the morning, he comes running into Andre and I's room. He was supposed to be there for a month. He left in a week. He comes into my room, two o'clock in the morning, terrifies Andre and I. Comes in the room, slams open the door and says to us in a New York accent, he says this, I promise you, there's a mosquito in my room that tried to pick up my leg and carry it out to its friends and suck it dry. I'm getting out of this country. (laughs) And he left. 
Not everyone is called to be an Apostle Paul. And you've got to ask yourself the question, do I have the courage to face the world that God has put me in like the Apostle Paul because you've been graced with that world to suffer so that they can see the courage of the Holy Spirit in you. Church, we need confidence from the word to guide us. We need courage from the spirit to face our enemy. But number three, we need the example of Christ to conduct ourselves properly. And now here's where we close up in Philippians chapter two. Would you look with me at verse one? Therefore, he says, let me wrap all of this up. Because of all this suffering, because everything that's going on in your life, Paul says, therefore, I want to remind you of something. If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. In other words, be like Christ, having the same love just like Christ, being of one accord, of one mind, just like Christ. Now, I've added that to help us understand. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Therefore, hey gang, I know that you're going through suffering and I know some of you are as well. And Paul wants to remind the church of Philippi like he wants to remind the church at Calvary Chapel South Bay, I want you to remember that Christ has been with you through every aspect of your suffering. You see, this word if is not a great translation. This is the word since. Since there is consolation in Christ. Since there's comfort of his love. Since he's provided for us fellowship in the spirit. Since his spirit reveals his affection and mercy. Fulfill my joy by being just like Christ. This word if is since. This is like my wife calling me. Hey, if you're coming home, would you please, uh, 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 if you could, would you please get some milk from the store? She ain't giving me an option. This isn't like, well, if you don't bring it home, we're, we're okay. This if is a since. Since you're coming home, you're going to stop by the store and you're going, she's just saying it politely. And I love that about her because she respects me in our home and I love her as I pray Christ loved the church. And love and respect is what makes a great marriage. But when she needs milk, she lets me know. If you're coming home. Is it possible if you can stop by the store? And what I hear is, since you're coming home, you will stop by the store. (laughs) Amen. Husbands, amen. Amen. This ain't a question. This is not up for debate. It's a matter of fact. Christ has consoled you. Christ has comforted you. Christ is with you. As the king of kings, Christ has displayed for us the conduct of a citizen of heaven. He loves us unconditionally. He's made us one with the Father. His selfless, considerate act on the cross, he considered us more than himself. He says, would you take a look at verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying. You want to know what a citizen of heaven looks like? Conduct yourself like the king of heaven despite your trial. Conduct yourself like the king. And in these first five verses, there's two things I want you to go home with. 
You see, our king has showed us how to conduct ourselves. And what Paul is letting us know, be loving. Christ has consoled you. He's not the God of some comfort. He's the God of all comfort. He doesn't just comfort you halfway. He comforts you every way. You have fellowship with the Spirit. You see, this word, if there's any consolation, this is the word paraklesis. Now, that should ring a bell for you Bible students because the root word of this is paraclete. It's the same word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to console us, to comfort us, to be with us. Because Jesus went, he says, I will give you fellowship with the Spirit. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. There's nowhere that you can go that he is not there. I told the VBS kids just a couple of days ago, God is so big, you can't go anywhere that he's not there. You can't hide from God. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He will always comfort us. He'll always teach us. He'll always guide us. Let me tell you something. You'll know you're operating in the Spirit if you're affectionate and merciful as He is. He says, if any comfort, if any affection, if any mercy... You know you're flowing in the Spirit if you're affectionate. If other people at your heart. You'll know that you're flowing in the Spirit if you're merciful. You see, Jesus knows that trials can hit us hard. How many of you have had a hammer in your hand and you're holding that nail and you hit your finger instead of that nail and something came out that you never meant, that you never thought was in you? Don't raise your hand. Jesus knows trials can hit us hard. He knows it throws us off our game. But he's not out to get us and punish us because we've messed up or made a mistake. He's merciful that if we confess our sin, he forgives us. And like Paul's experience, sometimes Christians will attack us when we're down. They'll come after us. They'll post it online. They'll do everything they can to increase your chains. But not the Spirit and not Calvary Chapel South Bay. We're affectionate and we're merciful. You see, in trials, people are going to mess up. And you're the cleanup crew if you're operating in the Spirit. You're there to help, not hurt. If you're operating in the Spirit, you're like Aaron and Ur holding up the hands of Moses or Joshua fighting in the battle. You ain't Joshua looking up at Moses going, now why aren't you down here, old man, and do what I'm doing? And you're not Aaron going, oh, I'm tired of holding up your hand. No, you're holding that hand. You're down there fighting because you're flowing in the Spirit. And the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's comforting, not degrading. It's consoling. It's not angry and mean. Secondly, be selfless. Consider others better than yourself. Let me tell you, there's a tendency in our trials to survive instead of thrive. You see, survival tends to look out for number one. But thriving will tend to the needs of others. 
And you've got to decide, am I going to survive and tend to my needs, or am I going to thrive and tend the needs of others? In the midst of our trial, we've got to get off of woe is me and get to God in prayer. My mom raised me joy. Jesus, others, yourself. That's the way that we live our lives. Jesus, others, yourself. You remember that song? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You guys don't know that song? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. I love you guys. (laughs) I got you. I love that. And my mom would always say, let me tell you what joy is. Jesus, others, yourself. And I'm proud of the Apostle Paul. Because he's setting such a great example. In the midst of his trial, he's not writing about all his woes. He's sending a letter of encouragement to this church. He is purposing to live as Christ. And he's purposing to live as a citizen of heaven so that they can watch his life be like Jesus. Because when Jesus was in his greatest trial, he was considering his mother. And he said to his John, hey, this is now your mother and this is now your son. He was considering her more than himself in the midst of his trial. He says, let nothing be done for selfish ambition. Let me tell you what that means. It actually means that you choose to trust God. Whether promotion or demotion, regarded or disregarded, I am not going to promote myself to get what I want. I'm going to go to the garden and ask God What do you want? And let me tell you what he'll always say. Consider others better than yourself. Amen? Amen. Hey, church, I'm going to ask the pastors to come forward. Because I believe in my heart, and I'm going to ask the pastors, if you would, don't come to the front. Stay on the sides. Because when worship begins, it'll be difficult for you to hear. But the pastors are going to come and they're going to line up on either sides right here under these screens. And I believe in my spirit that this is a letter for the church at South Bay tonight. Because I got to believe that some of you are suffering and undergoing great spiritual attack. Tonight is a decision of, I want to live like a citizen. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. This situation is only the reminder in my life that I need the power of the Holy Spirit. So during this worship song, Pastor Dennis is here, Pastor Brandon is there, Pastor Rob is coming down, and Pastor Pat and Pastor Dwight are here. In the midst of this song, you just get up out of your seat, you go to the pastor and say, would you just please pray for me? for the power of the Holy Spirit because I need the confidence and I need the courage and I need to conduct myself like Christ in the midst of this trial. told you before, a pastor friend of mine asked a woman who'd suffered for years with the disease, looked at her and said, I'm praying for your healing. She responded, Pastor, don't pray for my healing. Pray for God to give me the wisdom in the midst of this trial. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.